You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 8th of June. Game one, Jazz, Clippers, five things to watch for to get you ready for the Jazz and the Clippers. And Brian Seaman, TV voice of the Clippers, joins us. It's all next on Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, hopefully firing you up for the game tonight. Game one, Jazz Clippers, big task at hand for the Jazz, big task at hand for the Clippers. Arguably, other than the, the Nets are playing the two best teams in the NBA, unarguably the two best teams in the NBA throughout the season. Today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. All right, uh, Brian Seaman, TV voice of the Clippers, is going to join us, good friend of mine in a minute. And then, but I want to give you five things to watch for here in this game. Uh, so the first one for you to watch for is what are the Clippers doing with their lineups? So Patrick Beverly guarded Donovan Mitchell during the regular season. And as we talked about on yesterday's show, if you didn't hear it, they did a really, really good job. He did. He caused one. He didn't play virtually at all in the final part of the Clippers series. Beverly played 11 seconds in the last three games. He didn't play more than five minutes in the last five. He's 32 years old and fading a little bit, but he caused Donovan a a great deal of problems. So does Patrick Beverly play, or is it just Reggie Jackson that gets that minutes? Jackson, who a career 35% three-point shooter, is shooting 43% from three from the for the Clippers and you know is amazing in that regard. Uh what he's done for them. He's I've never liked him a great deal. He's been amazing for them. So he is uh that's the first thing on their lineups. The second is what are they doing at center? So Zubak was 22 minute a night center. They went small and they've actually played more as much small ball this year in the playoffs as they did in the regular season. Uh Versus Dallas, they played 412 possessions without a natural center. In the regular season, they played a little less than that. It was, they, their offense is amazing when they go small. 126 against Dallas, 131 in the regular season is a small sample size. And when they do that, and they suddenly are playing Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Nicholas Batum, and Marcus Morris, who's Rudy Gobert guarding? Maybe Nicholas Batum. Like, who's Rudy Gobert guarding? How is he impacting Kawhi Leonard? How is he impacting Paul George if that's the lineup that's on the floor? By the way, interesting little note about both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I got a lot of interesting little notes. So, Kawhi Leonard has a monster game against the Jazz. Monster, monster game against the Jazz. And then, in the last three games since then against the Jazz, he's shooting 36% and 3 of 15 from 3. Paul George has... Monster games against the Jazz, 43 and 45, like monster. And then in his last four games against the Jazz, Paul George is shooting 32% from the field and 10 of 30 from three. The Jazz do bend their shot charts. Paul George this year with Rudy Gobert in the paint, two for seven shooting. 
Over 50% of his shots are from three against the Jazz. And his rating, your offensive rating with Paul George on the floor and Rudy Gobert on the floor is a 101 so far this year. Kawhi Leonard's just one of four at the rim in two games with Rudy on the floor. An offensive rating of 105. And Kawhi Leonard is six of 15 shooting in the paint when Gobert's on the floor. So Gobert does bother them. This leads to the second thing to watch in this game. The math game. So the Clippers are actually a better three-point shooting team than us, which is like hard for us to believe. But the key for us is how many more threes per game can we get up than the Clippers? And so the instinct is a little bit, I think, right now to go worry about Rudy Gobert, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard's mid-range game. I'm going to hold to our core. Deny the rim and deny threes. We're the only team in the top five in the league that does that. Let's do it again. And if they want to go throttle us from the mid-range game, then they get us. In game one where we beat them from three, or we excuse me, we beat them in the first time we played them on January 1st, when we beat them, their mid-range game, they shot 11 of 36 from the mid-range. Non-paint, two-point shots, not restricted area, and they got just 16 shots at the rim. In the game where they beat us by four, in February, when everyone is together, they got 15 shots at the rim the entire game. However, they went bananas from non-restricted twos. Sorry about that. They went 23 of 44. I'm fine with that. If that's what it takes to beat us, that they only get 15 shots at the rim and they take 44 shots as paint non-restricted or non-restricted area twos. Can't say it today. Then they beat us. That to me is important. The, 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 the two important games, these guys only got 15, 16 shots at the rim. That, that's a hard way to live. They got seven, they get, took 33s in the second matchup and in the first matchup they took 33 threes so if if we can keep them to 15 or 16 shots at the rim and somewhere between 30 and 33 threes while we're taking 40 42 threes we got a real shot here that gives us a math game the problem with our math game against them is they're actually as good as shooters as we are if not better so we really have to come out and not only win the math game by shooting we have to win the math game by volume of shots, not just making shots. In the January 1st game, we took 27 shots at the rim. In the February 19th game, we only took 14 shots at the rim. Our two performances against the Clippers are so incredibly divergent. We talked about it yesterday. Most passes, least passes, worst shot quality of the year. We took 38 non-restricted area twos in our matchup game against them, and only took 34 threes in the game we lost. We've got to be better. we got to better that. And that's us probably being quicker. I haven't looked up, and now I will. As I talk, I'll realize this is a note I need for the... But as you know, during the season, what we did is we played early in the shot clock, faster in the shot clock, and earlier in the shot clock than we had in the past. So the big story we took was how, our, how much faster and quicker we got with some of our plays. And we took those three-point shots earlier in the shot clock than we did 
uh, in, in prior, about five, four more shots are on the shot clock, seven more shots in the first nine seconds shot clock. Threes, threes those are. So we got to do that. So the math game. Next one is the Clippers' defensive approach. Like, what did they do to take that divergent change to us? And they actually have a lineup now that can switch one through five, which causes us some problems. Now, we've gotten pretty good at that. And it's not clear to me how often the Clippers have done that switching. And so we'll see whether or not the Jazz can react to the switching. What is the Clippers' defensive approach? In other words, are they... Switching, can Gobert get behind Morris, get behind Batum, get behind these guys, get behind Kawhi, get behind Paul George, get the pass up high, and be able to be above these guys? Are they switching, and when Rudy rolls, bringing a guy in from the weak side, so that should open up catch-and-shoot threes for us, and we should be able to throttle them? Are they switching but hugging? So if they're switching and they hug, now we've got to get the ball over the top to Rudy or our guys have to beat guys one-on-one, and this is where you need Mike Conley really, really badly because you have Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Donovan Mitchell, all who can beat guys one-on-one without Mike Conley. Now they go put Paul George on Donovan Mitchell. They go put Kawhi Leonard on Boyan Bogdanovich, and our offense comes to a halt. So let's watch what they do. Are they dropping? Are they playing Zubak and dropping the big? If Morris is out there, I think they have to switch. Can we, and then are they switching but shifting or are they switching and hugging? Keep an eye on that. The next one is Joe. Joe did not have a good series. He's gotten some time off. He got worked to death to end the year uh, without Conley and go and on the floor. Um, He's, we, if particularly if we're not having uh, Mike Conley at full strength or at 100%, then we have to have Joe Ingles having an impact. And the impact is twofold to me. The one is early running the floor and playing for three. So not always coming back for the ball. Getting out, running, cat, he's... My, in the first seven seconds of the shot clock, Joe Ingles has got the best effective field goal percentage of any player in the NBA over the last, like, five years. Give me a little leeway on that stat. It's close, though. Joe's got to get those because we've got to get those early shot clock shots. The second thing is, if they're playing switching and they're playing switching and shifting, then Joe's height really matters. So... Joe comes off the uh, a, a pick and slip off a switch. They switch it. They got another 6'8 guy on him. Joe at 6'8. They're over switching on Rudy. He can find the open guys. Joe's going to need to have about seven assists tonight. So I want to see out of Joe four early threes and seven assists. We can get this game if that's the case. It's a massive one. We got This is our big advantage, game one. All right, Brian Seaman coming up here. On the show, today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. The Hyundai lineup of cars is just fabulous. I was actually uh, over at a buddy's house last night, the friend of mine who has the Chevy Volt that I've been telling you about when uh, that Mur- he loves it. And we're actually just talking about, like, he's doctor in town, perfectly well off, doing fine. Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm, I'm like driving a Hyundai Elantra and loving it. He's driving a Chevy Volt and loving it. We were talking about how this, this this tier of cars that's out there now 
is so great. Like you don't have to go spend crazy money. Like if, if you just kind of run down the list of the Hyundai lineup, the Palisade is as beautiful and as nice and as fabulous as any SUV you can get. I don't, we own two Santa Fe's. My kids are spoiled rotten that they have these cars, but they're safe. They do everything they need. They drive well. They were expensive, but they weren't crazy. I'm driving the Hyundai Elantra right now. It is a fabulous car, and it's my, the version I'm driving is $26,000, and it is absolutely 100% clear why it won North American Car of the Year. It's just terrific. Check it all out at Murdoch Hyundai, located at Linden and in Logan, also at 4646 South State Street. But please email me first at dlock09 and... Uh, email me at dlock09 at gmail.com and we'll set you up. The irony, by the way, <laughs> so I was at that buddy's house last night and his son just graduated from USC and is working for Credit Karma. And I want to tell you about Credit Karma because Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help even more with Credit Karma money spend account. You can be rewarded for mo- good money habits. Who doesn't want instant gratification? If you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait. With Credit Karma Money, you can win cash reimbursements for debit purchases. Credit Karma Karma Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements by making purchases. When you use Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card and you win. You'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Only from July 8th to July 30th when you purchase between July, excuse me, June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma, progress starts here. Visit creditkarma.com slash win money for your free account to start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash win money to sign up for free. Start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Credit Karma is sponsored by Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. As I said, joining us now is the TV voice of the L.A. Clippers, Brian Seaman. He's fabulous. If you listen to my radio call, I've unintentionally stolen more stuff from him than I probably did. And occasionally I've intentionally stolen stuff from him since he's so good. Though I have yet to figure out how to work in the saloon doors that you always reference to when the guy splits the double team on the pick and roll. And I always admire that because it's the perfect analogy yet. I'm not, I'm not good enough to get it in Brian Seaman TV voice of the LA Clippers. How are you? I'm good. You read that intro just the way I emailed it to you. So great job out of you. I appreciate that. I try. I try. Uh, (laughs) Was game six and seven, the best the Clippers have looked all year. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and certainly game seven was. I thought it was a combo of both defense and offense. They finally hit their shots. But it's the mindset for teams like the Clippers in Utah. Can they, can they keep that mindset through a seven-game series for 48 minutes a game? You know, I think that's what will separate these two teams doing it all. But I love the way they played in game six and seven. I love the adjustments that Ty Lue has made, not only during the regular season, but during the playoffs and uh, he has been phenomenal this year, and, and uh, you know, he's going to have to make some adjustments, uh, a lot of adjustments, I'm assuming, in this series against Utah. The uh, 
reason you're most confident the Clippers will win the series? Well, I, I got it. I'm just uh, trying just to. I'm, I'm that, trying to get you so that every Jazz fan hates you, like within the first two <laughs> minutes of our conversation. That's a good job out of you. That's you really do take care of your guests. I want to be clear. Uh, I have, and I've told you this privately. So I, I love the Jazz. I love how the organization has run over the last 30 years. I'm a big fan of Quinn Snyder. Like I think he's conservatively a top three coach. You, you wouldn't have to twist my arm to say he's the best on the sideline. So what makes me confident in the Clippers is I feel that we have great versatility and I feel that, uh, you know, how can they handle Rudy? Rudy's going to be the problem for everybody, right? Um, I feel that you go back to last year, Avita Zubats played Rudy very well. Zoo was our starter last year, was not the starter in any of the three games deliberately that the Jazz and Clippers played this year. So I feel that Zoo can go and I don't want to say neutralize because that would be disrespectful, but I feel that he can make life challenging for Rudy uh, on both sides of the basketball. But let's say that becomes heavily in favor of Rudy. The Clippers can go small and figure out a way to move it around that way. But I love the versatility all throughout the year. The Clippers have had to rely on guys like a Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, a Luke Kennard to win games. We know what we're going to get from the stars. Those guys that have come in have done a great job. So the roster versatility gives me hope that the Clippers can beat Utah in a seven game series, but they cannot afford to go down 0-2, and they have to play their best basketball to give them a shot every single night. So that's what I say. So I flip it. So now you tell me, why do you feel Utah will win this series? Well, I think the first one would be because of the seven games. The, re- the reason you become the number one seed is you face a team that's played two playoff games already and that is tire- tires out and – you get a week off while the four seed goes and plays a five game, you know, seven game bloodbath with the Dallas Mavericks. Right. And so the number one reason I would give is if the jazz can have a, a rest advantage where they grab game one out of one preparation to fatigue. And then, you know, then you're playing, you got to win three of six and they got to win four of six. Well, these teams aren't that different, right? I think statistically, I do actually think the Clippers are, are superior to the jazz. Uh, once you kind of dig through the numbers and get to just the Kawhi and PG numbers and just the small ball lineup numbers and just the things they're doing, but I'm not sure that they're, you know, they're plus 18 per hundred possession compared to the jazz with their main lineups plus 15. All right. That's a little better, but it's not so much better that rest and fatigue and those issues might not play. And the other every other day part of this also means that if the Clippers, you know, are down at this series at any point, you have to exert a little bit more to get back in it. And I want and so I think that's going to be a, a question. And I don't I think it could show in game one, and I think it could show in game six, right? I, I think that those are the times when fatigue and just the amount of you know, you suddenly by the time we hit game six, it'll be the Clippers' thirteenth playoff game, and it'll be the Jazz like eleventh, Donovan's tenth. That's a pretty big difference. I, so I agree with you, and I think game one is going to be interesting because Utah, and, and this is my experience through the Clippers and watching the playoffs for 30 years, the Jazz will be rusty tomorrow, but they'll be rested. The Clippers will be in sync, 
but potentially tired. You throw in the, uh, the altitude advantage, the home crowd advantage. I, I almost wonder if that doesn't level the playing field a little bit for game one. And I don't think we'll learn much about the strategy from either coach for at least from the Clippers standpoint, I, I expect them to go fairly deep onto that bench because of what you just mentioned. I wouldn't be stunned at all to see Ty hit the reset button, put Avita Zubats in the starting five, put Pat Beverly in that starting five, just to give that those other three guys a little extra juice. You know, Marcus Morris didn't play a ton of minutes uh, in that Dallas series because he was in foul trouble for much of it, but the big boys certainly did. But I, I, I think you're right. I think that the fatigue issue could come into play, but I mean, I, I just don't, I just don't allow that to be the deciding factor. I just, I can't allow in my mind. I don't think Kawhi Leonard is going to say, man, we didn't win because we were tired. I just think he's going to find a way to make it happen. But your point is a good one. And Utah played the best basketball all season long when they were healthy. And that's why they're the one seed and to the victors go to spoil. But I think tomorrow, is going to be, I think it's going to be a crazy game. Like, I think you're going to just see so many different things happen um, as the Clippers try to kind of either figure out Utah or just get on, you know, get on a playing field where they can compete with better legs. That'll be the interesting part. Uh, the killers, if Mike Conley doesn't go, Conley and Gobert actually had, in particularly, you know, game one and game three are relevant in this series. Game two is not relevant uh, that took in the regular season. They frankly both happened in f- by February, so I wonder how relevant. But game one, I just rewatched the first one. Oh my gosh, Conley and Gobert just sliced the Clippers up. Just sliced them up. Like uh, I-, I would guess they averaged, I know this sounds crazy, I would guess they averaged close to two points per pick and roll. Like it was crazy how good they were <laughs> in that combination. And then it was interesting because game three, I talked about this in yesterday's podcast, Game one is the most passes the Jazz threw in any game all year, and the game three of the series is the fewest passes the game the Jazz threw in any game all year. Like I haven't had a chance to watch game three yet, so I haven't seen why and what the uh, as we're recording this. I haven't as I do the first segment. You will have already heard my comments on that. Um, as as we break as a, you know why this happened, I think you switched more, you played small more, you did things, but that's a really interesting difference between those two. What's taking place there um, is. The, you know, the fact that the, that you have had that type of contrast in these two games and the way the, the first two games were played. Yeah, I don't know how much stock you can put into the season series. The only thing for your edification would be that fourth quarter. We went small for almost all of it, if I remember. And we had Marcus Morris Sr. at the five. It might be Nicholas Batum in this series with how he did it uh, and so well he did it uh, against Dallas. So that fourth quarter, to me, is the only real litmus test for both of these teams. I don't, you know, we were in some weird funk uh, at the start of the year. That was shortly after that Dallas debacle where we lost by, I, I, wanted, I think we lost by 50-plus points. I think the same thing happened in Salt Lake shortly thereafter. That's the one game we, is that last game that we played against you guys. We happened to win it. Uh, we had just brought back all the big boys. So that's the one thing you can take away, and it's such a small sample size. I'm not sure you're going to glean much from it but like I said and this promises to be a great series and, and I, I it's a coin flip to me right now uh who can pull it off all right this guy Kawhi Leonard's ridiculous so I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing prep for this okay so when he comes off a pick and roll his effective field goal percentage when he shoots when he comes off a pick and roll is 61 percent 61 percent effective field goal percentage like what do you do with that like like, 
We like we can't double with Rudy at 30 feet. So like what have teams done to Kawhi? What if anything has anyone bothered? Interestingly, by the way, he's not been very good in his last three games against the Jazz. So I I, I don't think that actually holds a lot of water, but it's worth noting. Um, like what do you what do teams do with this guy? Well, the the one thing that has proven to be effective and it didn't work that much in the playoffs. It, you know, we, we we can talk about how well he shot the ball and what he did and how he took over both sides of the ball, which he did. I asked Ty Lue, I said, give me through the coaching lens what you've seen out of Kawhi. He says he's making quicker decisions when the double team comes or even before it comes. And that was the issue for him, I think, at times a year ago, is that he would hold on to the ball, get doubled, and make a bad pass. And Ty said that's the biggest improvement from Kawhi this year. As far as coming off the pick and roll, I don't have an answer for you what teams have done. They haven't done it very well. Um, But one thing that did stick out, to me, and after I spoke with Ty Lue, was how quick his decisions he's made, and he's not allowing the defenses to like dictate what he does. He's the one attacking. But I'll tell you what, man, some of those performances that he had in Dallas were unbelievable, and they won't go in the same breath as what LeBron has done because he didn't have the assist numbers or the you know the rebounding numbers. But the fact that he was guarding Luca while doing all of that offensively was amazing, and so. We got a taste of playoff Kawhi, and it was unbelievable to watch. He had 45.6 rebounds, three assists on 18 of 25 shooting. That can go in to any annals of any great performances in the playoffs of all time in Game 6, one of the greats of all time. Brian Seaman is with us. Uh, I have a big question about this matchup, and I want to know what the Clippers are going to do with it. We'll talk to Brian about that as we continue. Locked on Jazz, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Locked on Clippers is out there. And if you haven't got the new podcast locked on today, it's 20 minutes, daily recap of everything going on in the sports world. Quick, hitting, and fun. Make sure you got it. Locked on today. Subscribe or follow on your podcast provider. Today's show is brought to you by Rock Auto, our good friends over at Rock Auto, a family business that's serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com and shop for auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to tail lamps to motor oil to new carpet, whether it's your classic or your daily driver, whether you're a professional or do-it-yourselfer, whatever it is, it's an easy click and it's delivered directly to your door. And the best part about it, it is the same price for all involved. That's right. RockAuto.com is reliably low and the same for professionals as do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up twice as much on the same parts? It's RockAuto.com, right? Locked on in the How'd You Hear About Us section. And please do, locked on in the How'd You Hear About Us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. You're going to add a little extra to tonight's game. Do it at betonline.ag. Let's check out the lines from our official sponsor, betonline.ag. Tonight, the Utah Jazz are a four-point favorite over the L.A. Clippers. Boy, it does not feel that way as I prep this at all, but they hopefully fatigue. Hopefully they know something over under 2020 and a half. Uh, Philadelphia is a six-point favorite as well. Series odds, the Jazz are minus 132. The Clippers are plus 112. So if you bet 100, uh, you got to bet 132 to win 100. You got to bet 100 uh, to win 112. Uh, Hawks are favored in the Sixers series now at plus 120. Nuggets are plus 330. And the, uh, excuse me, yeah, the Suns are minus, so sorry, Sixers are favored at minus 140. Jazz are favored at minus 132. Suns are favored at minus 410. And the Nets are favored, obviously, at minus 460. Wow, did they pull off something last night? Our most likely NBA final is still Brooklyn versus Utah. 
plus 225. But Brooklyn Clippers is next, plus 300. Massive game one today. BetOnline.ag, promo code locked on, and you get a 50% welcome bonus. 50% welcome bonus with promo code locked on. Brian, during the regular season, the one guy that slowed down Donovan Mitchell was one Patrick Beverly. If you look at the numbers, Donovan Mitchell uh, with the basketball, primary defender is Patrick Beverly, and the Jazz weren't great. Um, what do you think Patrick Beverly does in this series? So I wouldn't be surprised, given everything that we've talked about, fatigue, pressing a reset button, what you just mentioned with Donovan Mitchell, uh, how well Pat Beverly has guarded him. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see Avisa Zubats back in the starting five and Pat in the starting five, along with Morris, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard. A year ago, that was the best lineup in basketball. And so to have it back in the second round, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And so Pat's ready. I mean, he just, he was, he was in a tough spot. Who, who is going to be able to stop Luka Doncic in a seven-game series? They had to really kind of figure some stuff out. But Pat will be ready, and it will solve some of the fatigue issues. It'll give you another voice out there defensively. But I fully expect Pat to play significant minutes here in this series, and I'm rooting for him. He's one of my favorite all-time Clippers. I love him, and I'm hoping that he can give Donovan Mitchell continued fits. Is there a weakness on this Clippers team? Yeah, when the shots don't fall, there is a problem. Now, they've learned to defend. You know, we saw it um, with the Clippers uh, during this series that when the shot doesn't fall, they've got to really dig deep. And the way they did it was they post Kawhi or they attack the paint. We know how good Utah is defensively inside and outside. And so what would they do? Would they go to the mid-range shot, which is something that they have in their bag? Um, that's the biggest question. And the other one is, can, can players stay out of foul trouble? Paul, uh, Paul George had issues, and Marcus Morris Sr. had issues in that round one. Those are the biggest weaknesses for me right now. Uh, they don't get to the free throw line enough, but they don't get enough easy shots. And I don't know if that's going to improve at all in this series. The free throw shooting last year, one of the best shooting it, and then one of the best at getting into the, the, to, to the free throw line. They're now one of the bottom teams in that category. That's bothered me all year. So that's the number one thing to me. If you ask me after I start talking, is they don't get enough free throws. Well, that's interesting because with Gobert in the game, they probably don't get to the rim as much. Either, which even, and we don't foul at all because we just stay in our shell. So the question is, uh, is Kawhi Leonard going to, what did he do against, you know, in, it was, I was surprised by this in the, in the regular season, Kawhi Leonard on long twos shot just 43%. Like, well, I'm good with that. I'm not good with the 16 of 23 on long twos at 70% he did against Dallas. Because when I actually, I have did a little research, Brian. I know you'd expect nothing less. And you'd be doing all the same research if you didn't, unfortunately, not get to call these. But it's interesting that Kawhi Leonard had, um, shot chart has been bent by Rudy over the years. So he takes, instead of taking five floaters a game in the paint non-restricted area, he takes eight. Instead of taking five or six threes, he takes four. Instead of taking five shots at the rim, he takes four. Like one of those shots is getting moved in all of those categories against the Jazz. And he ends up taking 14 non-restricted area twos in, in a game instead of nine when he doesn't play against Rudy and the Jazz. So he def- that, that mid-range game, which is 
not getting free throws, as you're talking about, is going to be vital in this series. Now that's a, and that's a great point. You know, and like I said, uh, the plan of attack for the Dallas Mavericks was they were 29th in rim protection, get to the bucket, get to the rim. And they, they did that at a high rate. Like they not only got there, but they finished. So the, the game plan is going to have to change and they're going to have to figure out a way to, if that's what they want to do. Uh, and I think they really, really had to do it because they were just not hitting shots against Dallas. Give credit to Dallas, but also I think the Clippers just didn't, they just weren't making them. So the Rudy factor is the biggest key, the whole series. I know you know this. I know this. I'm educating Clipper fans as we go along that Rudy is the most important player in the series. And he's kind of what Luka was to Dallas, but he doesn't score. He helps everybody else score. He's not the lockdown defender. He keeps everybody else, you know, their ability to stay aggressive and, and do what they've got to do. He is the, he is the problem the Clippers have got to solve, but I feel they've got some interesting pieces that could make it challenging for Utah. But if they don't get to the free throw line and we're not hitting threes, it, it, it will be, a, it will be tough. It will be tough. Uh, one note, the sk- third game matchup between the two teams when everyone played uh, Clippers only got 15 shots at the rim and the Clippers hit a remarkable 23 of 44 on non-restricted area twos. 23 of 44 and beat the Jazz. If that's actually what it takes to beat the Jazz as a Jazz fan, I'm like, okay, I'm okay with that. Like, if you want to go shoot 53% on on twos and beat us, then I got to tip my hat. I I don't know how sustainable that is. And that, but so I, and and so like one of the problems I have with the Dallas series is I'm I'm a deep diver like you. I I couldn't do much in that regular series because the regular season, because there was that lopsided game that the Mavericks just (laughs) handed us. So, I mean, it threw off all the numbers and then I don't think we were healthy for one of the games and yada, yada, yada. You know, so it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, I don't think that's a sustainable rate, uh, obviously. So the Clippers are going to have to find ways to score. Uh, but I feel good. Like I said, I mean, the roster versatility, we have guys from one to 10 that can really help out. Wouldn't surprise me if you see DeMarcus Cousins a little bit. Uh, I don't Please. Think Serge Ibaka, I don't think he's out on the floor doing anything. Like I said, tomorrow night will be the one where I feel Ty Lue throws the kitchen sink in there to see what he can do just to, to see if he can steal the game while they're still recovering from that game seven. So I think there's a really interesting strategy move for Ty Lue. I'd be curious your thoughts on this one. And, and it might not, they, these might not be mutually exclusive. In the third matchup when we played you, we only got 14 shots at the rim. The easy way to take away shots at the rim is you drop the big, you play him in the middle of the paint like Zubak or something like that, and you say you can't get there. The other question, I guess, would be is if you somehow switch everything and then overshift out of the switching so you force us into an isolation game. Do you have any feeling of what the Clippers are best at considering you know, that they may want to be small with Morris rather than Zubak, or what would, what would be best in that regard? Well, it's funny, because I think they're, we played those games in mid-February, and that was at a time when uh, Avita Zubac and the, the coaching staff, the belief was to do deep drops. And we had just gotten done with a game in Cleveland and, I, and, and maybe Memphis earlier in the month, where they hit like 40 floaters between the two of them. Like, it was crazy. And so I think that has maybe a place here and there, but by and large, I think they're best when they're switching. And that's what we saw against Dallas switch. Everything you can, when Luca was just hunting matchups, they did the the hard show and recover and all that kind of stuff. 
uh, as much as I love Donovan Mitchell and, and Mike Conley and, and, and the like, I, I don't know if they have the same gravity as, as Luca does. So I would anticipate a lot of switching uh, going forward uh, for the defense, just as we're talking this thing out loud. That, to me, would be the best strategy for the Clippers. And I think that's where we struggle the most, particularly if Mike Conley's not playing, right? Because now you put Paul George on Donovan, you put Kawhi Leonard on Boyan, and we don't have anybody who's beaten anybody one-on-one. And, and so, and that will be key, um, you know, but like I said, this is, to me, this is a coin flip of a series and it all depends on what the Clippers can do when Rudy is out there or if they can get him off the floor. Um, I think the latter is going to be more challenging to get him off the floor. Nah, you know what? I take that back. I, I don't know what is going to be more challenging. I, I've got nothing but endless respect for Rudy. So uh, I'm curious to see two great coaching minds go at it. You know how I feel about Quinn Snyder. I think Ty Lue this year has just been so fun to watch and his experiments and his ability to adjust has been a lot of fun. So this is going to be a good series. Well, the final uh, little fun thing I think about this series, it will be, I mean, I think the Conley injury is the overriding piece of this. Frankly, I think that's, um, I think that's probably the biggest item in this whole um, aspect of things is because it, you know, it allows you to play more pick and roll. It allows you to beat the zone. If you play zone, it allows you to play small. Here's a, let me go back to the small lineup that you talked about. You actually played more possessions in the playoff series with Dallas, with Morris at center, with Kawhi and Paul George, and you actually played in the regular season. That does not surprise me. Um, the, the availability was tough on that, and that was more of an experimental thing at times that Ty wanted to see. And then the third element to that is Ty, is, he has mentioned it to us over and over throughout the year. He's like, right, we're going to do things that we haven't done in the regular season, and we're going to do them in the playoffs. We will look different. And so that's part of the kind of the adjustment thing that he's always willing to do. And maybe he still has some stuff uh, up his sleeve uh, for the Utah series, although I don't imagine why you wouldn't empty everything out against the Mavericks. But that doesn't surprise me when, again, when we talk it out. He wanted to keep some stuff kind of close to the vest, and he did. And I thought it worked really well. I don't know if it was the element of surprise for Dallas, but I just thought that that unit worked really well for Ty and the Clippers. I'll throw one more thing into this. The Jazz have, because of all the playoff losses to the Rockets, have spent a tremendous amount of time learning how to play the switch. And they're pretty good at it. And I wonder whether or not a team that hasn't done it that much won't won't need a game to get used to understanding what the Jazz do. I think as the series goes on, they figure it out, right? But there, there are some specific things, I'm not obviously saying what they are, that the Jazz do against switching. And I wonder a little bit whether or not that, you know, I might be making stuff up, searching for a little something for Utah, but whether or not that lack of playing that style comes into play at all for the Clippers at this point. You know, again, I might have totally made it up for all we know. I, I have no idea. You know, this is the hardest part about this whole year is that I'm not there at shoot around. Sure. I haven't been to one in over 18 months or whatever it is. So usually I have the answer to that, but I, I don't. And so I'm just kind of a fan uh, like everybody else at this point, just waiting to see it all unfold. I think, I think it's a good point. Well, Brian, it's going to be fun. Uh, the last one I would point out that I think um, is worth mentioning, and you can probably touch to this a little bit. You've been very complimentary, Quinn. He just finished third in Coach of the Year validating. I listen to Jazz fans. We have an edge. Quinn Snyder versus Ty Lue. I don't disagree that we have an edge. 
I just don't know how big it is. Like, Ty Lue doesn't get a lot of credit. He's won a ring. He's the one who made the adjustments, the better adjustments seemingly, maybe with better talent, but better adjustments in that last series. Tell me a little bit about Ty Lue as a coach and what you've seen out in this year while you actually haven't had as great access, but you've still seen everything they've done this year. I've mentioned it before, the adjustments and, and his in, his ability to just say, okay, that's not working. Let's move on to it. He loves analytical numbers, talks to the analytical department every single day to go over what they've seen, what they've come up with. Um, you know, the story that – and look, I, just because I compliment Ty doesn't mean I'm sliding Doc Rivers. You know how I feel, but Doc is the man. I love him. Um, but Doc had his game plans, and, and Ty Lue had his game plans, saw they weren't working, and, and just kind of scrapped them and – moved on. He's a very calm presence on the sideline. Doesn't get overexcited. He wins a game seven. His temperament, to his credit, was the exact same as it was when they were down 0-2. It's little things like that that I I always pay attention to, but um, anything that he feels that will give the team an edge as far as making a move, he'll do it, you know? I mean, the the best story, and this you could use this if you haven't already heard it, it was 10 games in, and Reggie Jackson was getting some heavy rotation minutes. Luke Kennard was getting some heavy rotation minutes. And he basically said to both of them, especially Reggie, he said, look, Reggie, stay ready. We're going in a different direction. And about two or three games in, I think Pat Beverly got hurt or something came up. Reggie gets a spot start, wins the game in Sacramento. The injury is more severe than we thought. I think it was to Pat. And, and Reggie was in the starting lineup. In fact, started more games than Pat, played a, an amazing season. And it's uh, – you know, I think sometimes coaches can say they, they want to be stubborn with their points. And so instead of saying, hey, Reggie, you're not working out, sit on the sideline, come back in after the injury and then left him in there, put him back in the starting lineup and then did the same thing in the playoffs. Those are the little things that I see from afar with Ty. And it's been a real joy to watch. And um, I'm, I'm happy for him. He's just a, he's a good dude as well. Brian, I will leave you with this note. I'm surprised I just found this while you were talking. Clippers switched the fifth most pick and rolls of any team in the NBA this year. Defense, you know, I had a little staff from our friend Kevin Pelton sent me some interesting stuff on that. Uh, and wait, wait, wait. That Kevin Pelton doesn't send yeah. me anything. Kevin Pelton used to I be dropped. my stats person in the WNBA. I, at one point in time, helped an 18-year-old Kevin Pelton, like, dress appropriately. I've been Kevin Pelton's <laughs> biggest fan. He's not sending me squat. What's going on with this, Pelton? I, I tell the story all the time. Like uh, he did stats for me a couple of times when I was up in Seattle and they were just crazy. Like, I'm like, what, what are you doing? And I, I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. And several years later, I see this byline after this crazy informative, rich with details and stats. And I'm like, who is this guy? Kevin Pelton. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So he's going to run the country one day. So wait, he sends you notes and not me. I texted him. I did drop your name. And he said, here you go. And he sent me some stuff from a, a website that you and I and he both subscribed to. All three of us subscribed to. And do you want to share those notes or just rub it in my face that Pelton loves you and doesn't love me anymore? Well, I don't know. I'll have to talk to Kevin and see if he's okay with me sharing that information with you. I don't, I don't want to go out of pocket with this, so to speak. Look at that. Brian Seaman taking the first 
trash talking dagger of the Jazz Clippers series with Kevin Pelton is actually closer to me now than you. Those are fighting words. He's Brian Seaman. He's the Clippers TV voice. He's one of my favorites. He's absolutely fabulous, too. Too bad you don't get to hear him anymore. It is Jazz Clippers game one tonight, 8 o'clock, 8.15 tip-off, by the way. So if you're running late, don't rush into the arena thinking you're going to miss crazy stuff. But you want to be in your seats and ready at like 8.05 for all the intros and a full house for the first time. It's going to be epic. It's going to be tonight. It's going to be great. Postcast following the game with Ron Boone. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great one. This is Locked on Jazz.